Hey, welcome to my podcast. This is episode number one. And for episode number one, I want to focus on our founding fathers, and mothers for that matter, who made the United States possible. We all know the stories of the most famous leaders of that momentous era. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, John Abigail, and John Adams are probably the most remembered. Altogether, there were actually 145 men who signed at least one of the four documents of origination. And those documents, just to refresh your memory, are the Articles of Confederation, the Continental Association, the Declaration of Independence, which everybody knows, and also the United States Constitution, which I think is also widely known. Yet yet only 56 of those 145 men who signed the Declaration of Independence in the summer of 1776 could not have known just how successful their effort would be. Rather, most of them knew that what they were doing was committing high treason against Great Britain and King George III by signing their name to a document that renounced their allegiance to their mother country. In quotes, it said, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, end quote. That was Jefferson's final sentence. For over 20 of the signers, that pledge would take on a woeful meaning in the years after 1776. Nine of those signers paid the ultimate sacrifice, their lives for the cause of the independence. So nine of the original signers of the independence paid the ultimate sacrifice with their life. How many people today would be willing to do that? Amazing. 17 of the original signers, almost one for every three who signed, lost every single penny they had in every single piece of property they owned. So again, I rhetorically asked that same question. How many people today would rise and forfeit and give up and be willing to risk every penny in every piece of property that you own? Yet not one single person reneged on their pledge to stand for the support of this declaration. Let me repeat, not one person out of the 56 signers of the declaration ever recanted or apologized for their brave act in 1776. As Delegate William Ellery recalled years later, having stood next to the document while it was being signed, and this is in quotes, in no face was I able to discern real fear. So while he looked across and out across the crowd, he didn't see one person who was nervous or showed any fear. That courage was sorely tested, but never faltered. This was despite the terrible price many of them paid and the hardships all of them endured during the Revolutionary War that followed. The ones we remember today survived and went to perform even greater service for their new nation. Many did not come from the North or South. As was tradition then, here are some of the founding fathers who truly gave their lives and their well-being for the cause of liberty. So I want to focus on the names less well-known. But if you live in the North, in in Rhode Island or New York, or even um, perhaps New Jersey and Pennsylvania, you'll recognize some of these names because these names are major roadways, major bridges, uh, major arteries that 
are named after these founding fathers who, who when I go through each founding father, you'll see and hear rather what they lost. So I'll start with William Ellery from Rhode Island. His house and entire state was burned to the ground. He survived the war and later became a vocal opponent of slavery. People don't talk about that enough. William Floyd from New York. He and his family escaped the British invasion of Long Island to Connecticut, but left behind their home and his entire income. The home was a charred ruin when they returned. Penniless, a full seven years later, he went on to become a U.S. Senator and Congressman from New York. Francis Lewis from New York. Many people know the Francis Lewis Parkway, uh, right off the LIE. His home and estates on Long Island were destroyed by the British, even worse, Mrs. Lewis was captured and imprisoned, dying from complications stemming from her incarceration. Again, I ask you, who among us today would be willing to make these sacrifices? Lewis Morris from New York. Far from being a courteous abstainer during the debate, as the musical 1776 tells us, Morris literally put his money where his mouth was and signatures. The entire Morris financial fortune was put at the service of the Continental Army, Loyalist neighbors confiscated his property, forcing him apart from his family for the duration of the war. His brother, governor of the Constitution fame, also lost most of his wealth during the Revolution. Philip Livingston from New York, one of the wealthiest men in America in 1776, Livingston lost every penny he had as a result of signing the Declaration. His family was driven from their house by the British and his estate plundered. Livingston died impoverished just two years later while still serving in the Continental Congress. He was broke, no money, nothing. Not like our politicians come out today. Okay, this, this man died impoverished, gave up his fortune, and still served in Congress. John Hart from New Jersey. Hart's wife was dying as he signed the declaration. He hurried home in time to say goodbye, only to be forced to flee as the British approached his home. His 13 children never saw their father again. They were all forced to flee for their lives. He died in 1779. Richard Stockton from New Jersey was a judge. Judge Stockton was arrested by the British in 1776. He was imprisoned in a military stockade. He was released five years later. His health crippled and he died a pauper. He was poor. He was broke. He had nothing. He died in Princeton, New Jersey, actually. Richard Stockton uh, College in New Jersey is named in his honor, and I believe there's also a Richard Stockton um, rest area on the New Jersey Turnpike. John Witherspoon from New Jersey, a native of Scotland. He earned his doctorate in divinity from the University of St. Andrews before immigrating to the colonies to serve as the president of the College of New Jersey, better known as Princeton University today. The British responded to his signing of the declaration by burning the college library to the ground. When they occupied Princeton a few months later and pillaged the rest of the campus, um, they, they went after Witherspoon. Witherspoon returned after the British were expelled from the area by the Continental Army and he lived to see the college rebuilt. Robert Morris from Pennsylvania. Morris earned a massive fortune as a banker and commercial magnate and gave it all away to finance the revolution. The blockade runners that brought provisions from Europe to the colonies were entirely paid by Robert Morris and provisioned by him. He also loaned them enormous sum of $10,000 to the Continental Congress, which was on the verge of bankruptcy in 1776. 
unlike the global bankers of today, or unlike the politicians today, who would try and self-fund the government, they would never do that. The people we have in office today, first of all, we need term limits. They're in office way too long, as you can see. And secondly, they would not make these sacrifices. They're expecting us to sacrifice for them. John Wharton from Pennsylvania, despite living in a loyalist-dominated part of the colony, so in other words, he was amongst the enemy, he personally uh, was preferring to do reconciliation with Great Britain. Wharton signed the declaration. His neighbors turned on him, and he was forced to remain in Philadelphia just before his death in 1777, not a year later. He submitted to Congress what became known as the Articles of Confederation. Thomas Nelson from Virginia. Nelson lived in Yorktown, which, of course, saw the final showdown of the Revolutionary War. As Americans' guns shelled, shelled the British defenses, an anguished Nelson, now a general in the Continental Army, saw that they were sparing his house, which was General Cornwall's headquarters, if you recall. As the story goes, Nelson personally turned a cannon towards his home and blew it up to show that he was no less willing to sacrifice than his fellow Virginians. He loaned over $2 million to the Continental Congress, none of which was repaid, and Thomas Nelson from Virginia died impoverished. He gave his entire fortune away. There, there are a few more that I can talk about, but of these 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence in the weeks and months after July 4th, 1776, nine did not live as I indicated before to see the success of the American Revolution. Many others suffered financial losses, and in some cases, total ruin, like I mentioned. The men listed that I listed were not only the, the ones to pay the stiff price for their courage, but John Adams, who I didn't mention, his Boston home was looted, as was Franklin's in Philadelphia. Thomas Jefferson barely escaped with his life in 1779 when the British Navy raided Virginia. And... Um, there's more people who made many, many sacrifices, not you know, other than the founding fathers. They were, of course, far from alone. Thousands of ordinary Americans, as I said, suffered as well with paying the ultimate sacrifice, gave their lives, their homes as well. It's often been noted that many um, colonists stayed loyal to Great Britain. They too often lost everything, driven from their homes and the new nation itself. For the men and women and children who lived for the American Revolution, it was not a pleasurable experience by any stretch of the imagination. I'll let James Elbrecht, who wrote a splendid commentary in 2000 that brutally dissected a myth propagated about the Founding Fathers' fates, have the final word. Much has been written about the motivations of the signers and the founders in general. From my study, and again, this is James Elbrecht, not me, from his study, he believes that as a body, they were putting their country above their own personal gains. Can you imagine that? Putting their country above their own personal gains. There's no doubt that they risked their own lives and property along with that of their countrymen. I'm not sure whether I admire more the representative that voted no but signed the declaration or the representative that personally felt it was a bad idea but voted yes because his constituents had expressed their wishes that he support the independence. I admire the Congress at large for when it was inevitable that the vote would pass, doing everything in their power to make a united front. Both the delegates who stayed home and the new appointees who were unable to take part in much more than a vote that had already been decided 
are a tribute to a body who put the country and their countrymen above their egos. Can you imagine that? They put their country and their countrymen above their own egos. Amazing. All of the Americans who lived in those times paid the price. So I think, you know, we, we can't turn back time, but we certainly can learn. Any human who has ever seen the suffering of soldiers and innocents in a war zone has to wonder if an armed conflict is ever the worthy price for change. But the clock, we can't turn it back, like I said. The deed is done, and from it a glorious country has emerged. So as we continue our legacy as the greatest nation under God, the United States of America, let's pause to remember our ancestors, those we remember, and those who are forgotten, who pledged, in quotes again, our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor for a cause that was lucky to survive the next few months, let alone the last 244 years. My fellow Americans, I plead with you to think about our country's history. Think about all those who have sacrificed, and not just for the uh, the sake of the when the country was born, but have sacrificed in the many wars that came after. Those who sacrifice today, day in and day out. Let's get back to civility. Let's get back to a nation that there's equal respect for all. Let's start to celebrate this awesome country again, regardless of what the outcome is in the upcoming election. Godspeed, my fellow Americans.